Well, good morning, everyone. If I could have your attention, we will begin this convocation on perspectives on playing the national anthem at Goshen College. Thank you for coming out this morning. Well, you may or may not know the names of the husband-wife duo, television commentators and political consultants, Mary Matlin and James Carville. Mary was the former president uh, Bush's senior advisor. James was the former President Bill Clinton's senior advisor. One is an ardent Republican, the other a rabid Democrat. They argue with each other in front of millions of television viewers daily. In a recent Valentine's column, they co-wrote, they tease each other. Mary affectionately calls James, my little serpent head. He teases that she's more like Attila the Hun, so he, he says simply, I, I capitulate, retreat, and surrender. Not. She says he's a hopeless romantic. He says, I look at my wife and I think, darn, he doesn't say darn, but I don't deserve this woman. There's hope for all the rest of you bald-headed, squinty-eyed guys out there. In spite of their deep philosophical differences, Differences they say they will never get the other to change from. They are deeply in love and have the greatest respect for each other. In my own family, my mother and I grew up in very different contexts. She on an Amish farm in Iowa, going to a one-room school until she was in eighth grade. I grew up in a multicultural urban center of Tampa, Florida, where my high school, grades 10 through 12, was 3,300 students. She and I never voted for the same candidate. We have quite different theological points of view. She is no longer part of the Mennonite Church. I am. During World War II, my father served four years in the civilian public service as a conscientious objector digging latrines, privies, toilets, for the Florida State Department of Health rather than go to war. His brother, was a career military officer serving in Korea and Vietnam. My point in this roundup of our family differences is to say I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that in spite of our differences, each of us would lay down our lives for the other without hesitation, without question. Our love for each other was and is as strong as ever hands down. In a convocation at the beginning of this semester, I described Goshen College as having two dominant schools of thought. One on the prophetic side of the continuum that challenges things as they are, oftentimes but not always from outside the mainstream. The other school focuses on sustaining systems or changing systems from within. What I said then and mean even more today is this, that I long for a synthesis or at least an accommodation where both schools of thought, indeed other schools of thought that are reflected in our body politic as well, are given voice here at Goshen College. It would have been far easier to maintain the status quo and to avoid the discussion and decision regarding the playing of the national anthem on campus than not to do so. 
However, at Goshen College, our learning process is framed by a commitment to address complex, complex issues, no matter the discipline or subject, with academic rigor and civility. Indeed, at the heart and soul of any great liberal arts education is a commitment to dialogue with others of differing viewpoints. I believe we also have a theological imperative to engage each other in dialogue, because at the source of all conflict is the temptation to believe that our particular point of view is divine, divinely inspired, or nearly so. In a world where we have been so acculturated to disagree with each other in increasingly disagreeable ways, we have a moral imperative to model civil dialogue as the first principle of a Christ-centered peacemaking option for us. Today, I'm delighted that Dr. Kathy Meyer-Reimer, Professor of Education and Chair of the Department, and Dr. Joe Lichty, Professor of Peace, Justice, and Conflict Studies, have, ag have agreed to enjoin each other in a conversation about the decision to play the anthem at select sports. The common ground between them far outweighs any disagreements they might have. We are hearing only two perspectives on a continuum where rightfully could be many other points of view, some of which include yours. I have no doubt that each loves Goshen College deeply, shares his or her perspective in the spirit of heartfelt learning, in a spirit of honest-to-God dialogue, and in the spirit of civil engagement. I have no doubt that either one would lay down his or her life for the other in spite of differences they may have. So without further ado, we'll listen to Dr. Kathy, followed by Dr. Dr. Joe, and I'll have a few closing comments. Good morning. I'd like to begin this morning by thinking about the differences between cultural oddities or traditions, such as eating shoe fly pie, borscht, bagels, or kosher foods, and symbols or rituals of religious belief. I'd like to make the case that playing the national anthem at Goshen College is not genesising a cultural artifact or outdated tradition of Anabaptism, but removing one of the symbols and sacred rituals born out of Anabaptist convictions and nas about nationalism. The anthem controversy also speaks to how we make decisions, both large and small, when there are conflicts between what we feel is asked of us by our faith and by the good country in which we live. My understanding of the reason to start playing the national anthem is one of hospitality. I, too, want to make Goshen an open, transparent, hospitable place. And I see this decision as making Goshen less hospitable. The most hospitable thing to do is to clearly express why something is and invite people into open discussion. If we want people who are not familiar with Anabaptism to understand some of the assumptions basic to practices that happen at Goshen College, we need to be clear and willing to talk about the core Anabaptist beliefs that become rituals. Anabaptist Mennonites have historically been people of deed rather than words. Not playing the national anthem was a clear marker, an action, or in this case, a non-action, a lack of action, that spoke to anyone who attended a game saying there was something about nationalism that was different here. 
I don't think Goshen College was clear in explaining why the anthem was not played, and I don't think it was the job of the athletics department to carry the burden for doing so. When attending a game, something was communicated by the practice of not playing the anthem, but that something was unclear to many. There's no place we talk about Anabaptist beliefs about militarism, nationalism, or patriotism in a public, regular, or ritual way on this campus. We have nothing in colloquium, nothing in knowing the Bible or other gen ed courses, nothing in chapel or convos, or any place a first or second year student would find it on a regular basis. This, to me, is the epitome of insider secrets, or the total mystery to understanding what's happening here. You have to come and know some secret code to understand the subtext. That's not being hospitable, being clear about what we believe is. I also find this decision less than hospitable for another group of students, those who grew up with the Anabaptist, within the Anabaptist tradition. When I came to Goshen College, one of my roommates came from a high school in Chevy Chase, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C., and another one from a big high school in Knoxville, Tennessee. In high school, we each had to decide how to be true to what we were taught about nationalism and militarism growing up, what we would do every time the pledge was said, what we would do before athletic events, and what we would do during the Gulf War, etc. For this brief four-year period of our lives at Goshen College, we were able to be where we could think with people who had deeper understandings about Anabaptism, where we could explore what we believed without being, having to make the decision on a weekly basis about what we needed to stand for. I find it interesting in the press release statement about this decision that those same Anabaptist students are now being invited to be a prophetic witness to an Anabaptist institution. This seems odd to me. We're asking people to be prophetic about nationalism and militarism and to stand against the culture rather than from within it at a religious institution that does espouse some of the same principles on which their actions are based and at an age when they are forming beliefs that will guide their lives. This does not seem hospitable to me either. I want everyone to feel at home at Goshen College irrespective of the tradition in which they grew up. We all belong to the GC community and it is not a situation of host and guest. But just as at any family gathering where everyone, with all the differences they bring, is warmly welcomed at the table, all of us who gather at the table of Goshen College know that our family has some things we do together based on our belief structure, or some things we push against in that belief structure. Usually we know why we do what we do, and it seems only respectful to me that at an institution that was founded by the Anabaptist Mennonite Church, we would freely talk about and freely practice those beliefs that affect what we do. Today we are talking specifically about how U.S. Anabaptist Mennonites relate to the nation in which they live, nationalism and patriotism. Anabaptist Mennonites have not expressed gratitude for those things they appreciate about living in the United States as often as they could or potentially should. But it is not that they haven't, on the whole, worked for the good of their communities or been of great service in times of national disasters. From Mennonite disaster service that goes after floods and tornadoes and Hurricane Katrina, to Mennonites that started mental health facilities and hospitals, to all sorts of local, uh, local movements, again, Mennonites tend to be at, of, at deeds rather than words. What Anabaptist Mennonites generally don't do is pledge allegiance to anything but God. There is an understanding that God loves all of God's people, that God does not bless one nation more than another in a material or spiritual sense because God does not think one country is better than another. God asks us to consider the Russian, the Nicaraguan, the Iranian, the Afghan, 
the South African to be our sister and our brother as much as the person in the next dorm room, the next apartment, the next city, or the next state. God does not believe USonians are better people than anyone else in the world. If our country violates the rights of other people in other places through war, or oppression, or other actions, Anabaptist Mennonites believe God calls us to speak on behalf of their welfare as much as if they were our neighbor next door. Of Jesus' two most important commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor, the critical thing is how Jesus interpreted these. Jesus defined neighbor in inclusive and non-nationalistic ways, such as seeing the Samaritan as neighbor. Anabaptist theology has a perspective on who our neighbor is that is not consonant with current understandings of nationalism or patriotism in the United States. GC also says we want to be global citizens. We want to be U.S. citizens, yes, but world citizens also. We want to call our country to account for how we behave in the world arena. Claiming the U.S. flag and anthem will not help us do that. Who and how we are in the world are not mentioned in those system, symbols. In settings where we use the national anthem now, how will we effectively communicate our desire to interact with and learn from all the world's citizens? There is also the ritual nature of how the anthem is used. The point of ritual is to have pe things people do so repeatedly they don't think of it anymore. I want my children to pray before they eat. It's not that I think it's unhealthy physically or spiritually for them to eat without praying. It's not that I believe they even think about the words we're saying before they eat sometimes. But it is the very act of stopping before they eat each meal that gets into some deeper part of their psyche. They pause at a specific time every day, which brings some awareness of the fact that we have food to eat, and there is gratitude for that. It is part of the fabric of our lives. It is a ritual, and they may not even think about it as they move out of our home, but I would guess that they will notice the times they don't pause, because the pause means something. The national anthem is also a ritual, done so frequently that many, as I understand it from our discussion on campus so far, consider it part of the game. It is a ritual done so often and regularly in a game that it doesn't seem right without it. What about the game isn't right without the national anthem? What does it do to our players and spectators to think through the song every time they play? What does the repetition bring into the psyche of each one of us on campus? I would suggest that the point and end product of this ritual is to bring lo loyalty to our U.S. nation. In fact, the ritual became commas practice during World War II when baseball players were given deferrals from the war and they received lots of critique. And so to show their patriotism, they started to play the national anthem at every game so people would know how patriotic they were. At a school that professes compassionate peacemaking and global citizenship from an Anabaptist Mennonite perspective, does a ritual born to show how supportive we are of our nation in wartime belong to our community practice? It may not mean the same thing to each of us, but clearly it's powerful enough ritual that we're having this conversation. And one of the things it explicitly does do is honor our country in such a way that we can easily start to think of ourselves or believe our country is better or more right or more superior to others. One of the functions of ritual is moral education, but we have little control over the actual content. Popular culture defines the symbols more powerfully than we can. 
Can we practice the same ritual played all over the country and expect it to carry a different message, a message of hospitality, just because we're doing it in the context of Goshen College? Am I suggesting I think other countries are better or that I do not like living in the United States? No way. Having lived in Cuba, the Dominican Republic, Japan, and Europe on numerous times, I am always glad to come home to the United States. Do I love how my country acts all the time? No. Do I want my country to be the best it can be? Yes. Am I willing to help Goshen and Indiana and Indi and the United States improve? You better believe it. But I'm not willing to pretend it's always right. Do I value serving my country? For sure. I'm on the public library board. I volunteer in schools. I'm part of a neighborhood community association. I'm part of a national discussion on education in the United States and what we're doing to our children currently. Do I want the world to improve? You better believe that too. And I know that sometimes my country gets in the way of that and will harm other people to do that. Will I harm other people on behalf of my country? Not knowingly. In fact, I'm not eager to have others harm other people on behalf of my country or for me either. Even more misunderstood by mainstream US society than patriotism and nationalism from an Anabaptist perspective is pacifism. The idea that you would love your enemies in the face of death even the death of your children, your spouse, or your mother is an anomaly. Compassionate peacemaking is important, but it does not convey the full extent to which pacifism is willing to suffer until death rather than to impose death on someone else. If our compassionate peacemaking encompasses this foundational Anabaptist Mennonite tenet of faith, then it must be clear in our courses and in our actions. Playing the national anthem will not help anyone understand this, but not playing the anthem by itself has also not been helpful or a hospitable stance, leaving those new to Anabaptism struggling to understand what it means. Our not playing the anthem should have been more clearly linked to living out biblical passages of you shall not kill, blessed are the peacemakers, and love your enemies and do no harm and do good to those who hurt you. Prophetic, costly, biblical principles on which the teachings of Anabaptism are founded. As Goshen College engages our country and our culture, we decide on many issues, whether to assimilate to the culture around us or whether to live in alternative ways. When to be the people of assent and when to be the people of dissent. Deciding how and when to engage requires great discernment, listening to multiple perspectives, allowing for time for discussion, testing ideas and including all the stakeholders. Complex issues are not resolved quickly. I hope we continue to discuss this complex issue and I'm pleased for the time we're taking to do so today. Thank you. When you grow up in the Mennonite church, the issues involved in this national anthem debate, issues of allegiance to God and allegiance to nation, issues of peace and militarism, they get into your head, your heart, your bones, your gut from an early age. I was in second grade when I decided I shouldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance, and I didn't. As a high school student during the Vietnam War, I experimented with not standing for the national anthem, but then I decided that standing was the cost of playing basketball and football at Goshen High School, and so I stood. 
praying that God would understand that I was at least grumpy in my heart. <laughs> Today, I don't sing the national anthem or put my hand over my heart, which is a gesture that gets way too close to devotion for my comfort. Although I do always stand for the anthem out of respect for those for whom the anthem is important. In fact, in a life full of sport, as athlete and as fan, I've always considered Goshen College's no-anthem practice a kind of refuge and a solace, a place where my way, my convictions, were normal, not weird. No, I haven't forgotten my assignment this morning and decided to oppose the anthem decision. I was a member of the task force that proposed that Goshen allow playing the anthem, and thus I support the President's Council in their decision. I do so because whether to play the anthem or not is not primarily about my personal convictions, although I am a member of this community and so I have a voice. Neither is the anthem, in my understanding, primarily about the stance of the Mennonite Church. Although this being a Mennonite institution, that voice is very important. The right framework for making the anthem decision, I believe, is to consider the welfare of the whole Goshen College community. And when I do this, I conclude that we can afford to accommodate the wishes of the student athletes and the coaches who want to play the anthem. This is an affirmation I make uh, not with rock-solid zeal and cert certainty, because I find this an anthem issue to be a complex issue par excellence, but it is where my best efforts have left me. Let me say a little bit about how I get there. The anthem is a complex issue for me because it forces me to try to find a way through the tension between two faith commitments. One faith commitment is to refuse militarism and the excesses of nationalism because Christ calls us to another way, a better way. The other faith commitment is that a Christian college must be deeply understood and constructed as a domain of hospitality, of welcome and inclusion. One commitment cannot simply trump the other. Both need to be taken seriously. In my mind, the critique of militarism and nationalism points me in one direction on this issue, but it is the commitment to hospitality that keeps the issue alive, keeps me thinking about it. Now, when I think about hospitality at Goshen College, I come to the conclusion that a Mennonite church and a Mennonite college, however closely related, are not the same thing. And the immediately relevant difference is the roles in a Mennonite church and in a Mennonite college of people who are not Mennonite. In a Mennonite church, I hope you will be very welcome, but you are going to be welcome as a guest, and there are going to be limits on your participation in, in the whole life of the congregation. Goshen College proceeds differently. To the 45% of our students who come from other religious traditions or no religious tradition, we say, if you can embrace our core values, that we seek to nurture graduates who are Christ-centered, passionate learners, servant leaders, compassionate peacemakers, and global citizens, even, in fact, if you can just tolerate and respect the core values, you are part of this learning community. You are not simply suffered, you are invited, welcomed, included. You are not a guest, you are family. And this must raise questions like, in light of such commitments, what obligations does Goshen College have to students who are not Mennonite? 
What rights do they have? Who has a voice in what decisions? So the GC community needs to ask, how far can we accommodate the desires of our diverse members? And of course, not every desire can be accommodated, but we do always need to ask the question. And so when I think about whether Goshen College can accommodate the coaches and the student athletes, my fellow Goshen College community members who want to play the anthem, I consider three main issues. The first one, not playing the anthem is an expression of Mennonite identity. And yet, due to the peculiar relationship of patriotism and sports in this country, the burden of articulating and defending this hard to explain because it is countercultural position, uh, this practice has fallen not on the students and the faculty who have been trained and experienced in articulating this position, but on the athletic department. And frankly, this is, this is weird. The burden is misplaced and I want to lighten or remove it. Second consideration, when I think about what the anthem means, and I, I conclude that it does not have a fixed inherent meaning. Specifically, I, I, I'm being brief about something complex, but I calculate that if Goshen College makes an inclusion-driven decision to play the anthem, and if we do so in a ritual that makes clear our commitment to, quote, keep Christ's teachings, and in particular his teaching on peace foremost in our lives, a ritual that follows the anthem with the prayer of St. Francis. It would be hard for anyone to go away with the idea that Goshen College supports militarism and nationalism. Third consideration, I look around me and judge that Goshen College has a peace culture in vibrant good health. Yes, I will be happy to sit down with you and complain about what ought to be, perhaps starting with why do some Mennonite young people not understand their own heritage better? But by just about any comparative measure, it's hard to imagine a place where peace has a more prominent role, where it is more honored, more reflected upon, more acted on. And so I consider these three factors, the misplaced burden that, uh, imposed by the no anthem policy, the possibility of shaping the anthem, the interpretation of the anthem in our context, and GC's rich peace culture, and I conclude, we can afford this. We can afford to honor the desire of community members who want to play the anthem. For those of us who have wanted not playing the anthem to be a witness in relation to militarism and nationalism, we will need to find other ways, and we can. Now, I am simultaneously really, really tired of this issue, and I am energized by some of the new things we can all learn in the year-long review process ahead and even beyond. When I started preparing this talk, I had hoped to emphasize what I think we can uh, and must learn, but now I'm down to my last few uh, minutes, so let me identify just one thing, civil discourse, okay? Civil discourse is not an entirely new concept. In fact, it's one we talk about all the time at Goshen, whatever about whether we practice it. But bear with me here. Civil discourse isn't a, a code word for goodness. It isn't some kind of independent good in its own right. Civil discourse matters because of what it involves in practice and what it can accomplish. So first, the practice. When we practice civil discourse, we need to exercise the skills of listening and restraint and the attitudes of compassion and respect. 
These are invaluable skills and attitudes, and we will be better people for developing them. Second, the practicing civil discourse makes us smarter, or you might say inversely, failing to practice civil discourse makes us stupid. When we fail to practice civil discourse, two main things are likely to happen. First, we will lob tribal pieties at each other across a partition, and we learn precisely nothing except how right we are and how wrong they are. Second, we are likely to retreat to the company of the like-minded to rehearse how right we are and how wrong they are, and again, we have learned precisely nothing. Civil discourse is the essential life skill for learning in contentious, inflamed situations. Of everything I've read about the national anthem issue over the past year or so, I have a favorite contribution. It's my favorite because it is the only thing I can remember that starts from the premise that in order to make my case, I need to understand deeply and respectfully what you believe about the issues. The article I have in mind is Nate Manning's opinion piece in the record last fall, in which he makes the case for playing the anthem at Goshen College. Nate starts by saying that when he came to Goshen College, he was dumbfounded and, quote, close-mindedly negative, unquote, when he discovered that the anthem wasn't played before athletic events. But his next paragraph begins, as I have spent a year here learning more and more about the Mennonite tradition, I have come to an understanding of why we do not play the anthem, unquote. Now, here I go off script, but I, I just, I, I have to say something about the, Nate's use of we here in this last phrase, why we do not play the anthem. In, in contentious issues, always examine what you mean when you say we and you. Who do, I, wh who do I include myself with when I say we, and who do I include and exclude in my use of we and our? And so what, what really impresses me is that Nate is making a case uh, for a practice uh, not present at Goshen College, and he might very understandably said, I have come to an understanding of why you do not play the anthem. Instead he says we. Despite his disagreement, he includes himself as part of the whole. And that, that is huge in my mind. Aside, uh, over. He, he then, Nate then goes on to articulate the Mennonite position just about as clearly and concisely as possible. And when I read this, I thought, wow, you have really nailed it. And I also thought, surely this insight could only be gained by authentic listening as part of civil discourse. Now, it's true that Nate admits that when he was, quote, close-mindedly negative about the situation, unquote, he did not care who heard me. So, maybe his approach to discourse was, hey, stupid Mennonites, tell me why you believe that stupid thing you believe. But I really, I'm thinking, probably not. I don't think you get from close-minded negativity to the degree of insight Nate demonstrates without some genuine civil discourse. And then... With this as background, Nate makes his case for why he thinks GC should play the anthem. And it is all the stronger because he has taken seriously the convictions of people he disagrees with. I hope the Mennonites he talked to profited as much. Now, while Nate's article may be the only thing I've seen in print that so clearly reflects the dynamics of civil discourse, I'm sure it's going on in different settings all the time. But let's make this a deliberate, sustained commitment. Let's take the risk involved in a deep encounter with views we disagree with. 
It's just one of the things we can gain by further reflection on the complex issue of the national anthem. Thank you, Kathy and Joe. You've modeled for us passionate learning and compassionate peacemaking at its best. I know I, for one, heard both of you and experienced living in the tension of the truths that you have spoken to us, uh, both of you have spoken to us. We're truly grateful for your willingness to go the second mile in graciousness and Christian charity. Surely, I think, on behalf of all of us, we can say we leave here today wiser in thought. Let us now also leave more able to put into practice peaceful dialogue with those whom we differ. And I will close by reciting the fourth stanza of a wonderful hymn written by the Iona community, which I think expresses for all of us today, however we place ourselves on the continuum of this conversation. Praise the Maker, Christ, and Spirit, one God in community, calling Christians to embody oneness and diversity. This the world shall see reflected. God is one, one in three. Go in peace. <laughs>